0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the Mad Specialist Podcast. I am your host, Dalen Livingston, alongside, as usual, uh, with Landon Vollman, the other
1: co-host. How's it going today, Lando? Happy uh, Friday. Thursday today, but Friday tomorrow. (laughs) It's going good, man. Had a good day inside at work. Now I'm outside enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, it's good. We got uh, exciting news today on two fronts. Two fronts, people. We got exciting news. Uh, Livvy why don't you let them know who's on today
0: yeah well obviously you guys have uh, you've seen it now but we have an incredibly special guest um, a future hall of famer Stanley Cup champion Olympic champion um, best-selling author uh, Theo Fleury of the Calgary Flames Uh, he'll be on he'll be on the podcast he dropped by to talk to us for a bit Um, you know we can't thank him enough for for doing that helping out a uh, little podcast like ours uh but it was it was unreal to be able to talk to him
1: yeah theo flurry theo flurry the theo flurry everybody you know what this is mostly in the peace country right now so a lot of people listening might remember when he came up to play for the horse like thunder so we talked to him about that we talked to him about the flames uh talked to him about his motivational speaking so we're sure you guys will like that one but uh did any of you guys watch the uh, exhibition games Livy did you because I'm pretty jacked up about those
0: well you know obviously I'm uh, a working man at Ramona's Pizza so I haven't been able to catch anything live quite yet um but no I caught some highlights of the first few games obviously we got our boys uh the least getting that first victory of the year Connor McDavid scoring 30 seconds into his first game you know just kind of the usual stuff for that guy um no but i'm uh, i'm really looking forward to tonight's games
1: um i'm looking forward to all the games coming up all right what about you lando yeah it was great uh, watching mcdavid fly around uh the ice score two bingos and uh mcdavid if he's flying around he must have some pretty sharp skates uh and if you need your skate sharpened, head on over to ernie sports experts in grand prairie Uh, Whether you're looking for a new stick, that old baseball glove's not cutting it anymore, or a northern Alberta winter's got you wishing for a warmer coat, whatever it is, Ernie's has you covered. With excellent customer service and a wide selection, Ernie's will get the job done before you can say sports experts. And right now, you can get a free skate sharpening courtesy of Ernie's by telling them the Mad Specialist sent you at the checkout. Yep, you heard that right. A free skate sharpening simply by saying the Mad Specialist sent you at the checkout. You're not Ryan Smith skating around out there on dull blades. So take advantage of this offer and get those jets and head on over to Ernie's today.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Uh, We, we honestly, we can't appreciate, or we can't thank Ernie's enough um, for coming on as a sponsor for the podcast. Go get you guys a skate sharpened. Uh, Everyone loves free stuff. Um, So why not go get your blade sharpened? You know, most of you guys are hockey people and you know what, if you, if you aren't a hockey, hockey player or, you know, you don't have your own pair of skates, make sure you just tell someone who does. Go get that free skate sharpening. Season is just
1: around the corner. Yeah, everybody's hopping back on the ice in the summer. Uh, well, I know the elite guys are they're getting ready to go, and Beer League will hopefully start up soon. May, hopefully COVID won't keep that down. So, yeah, get those skates sharpened. Uh, man, I've been going to Ernie's for years. Uh, we're very grateful that they jumped on as a sponsor for us. And, uh, yeah, they got everything, man. Like I, I would get my sticks there from the time I was five till I started playing junior and I didn't have to pay for them anymore. I got all my gear there. Like my, uh, my shin pads, shoulder pads, got my ball gloves there. I'd go there for sunglasses. They got coats. They got, uh, man, they got everything. They got shoes, volleyballs, you name it. And, uh, yeah, definitely go get those skate sharpened because, uh that, that's really generous of them you know like free skate sharpening it's, we in grand prairie alberta with like half of the city if we get everybody going in there that I mean, that's pretty generous so get in there get those skate sharpened
0: yeah you know if uh, anyone that's listening uh lived in grand prairie they went to ernie's their whole life growing up so you obviously know how great of a business and organization they are so yeah continue to uh Support them with uh, really with whatever athletic wear you possibly could even imagine. They got it there, um, and go get those skates sharpened and save the mat specialists at checkout, and they'll be free. Um, but on that note, we want to send it over. We don't want to waste any time. We want to send it over to our very special guest, uh, Theo Fleury. SCA gets away. Here's Fleury looking for his
1: first goal of the series.
0: Score! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today we have ourselves an incredibly special guest. He's a former member of the Calgary Flames, Colorado Avalanche, New York Rangers, and the Chicago Blackhawks. During his career, he was named an NHL All-Star seven times. He's a Stanley Cup champion, as well as an Olympic gold medalist. His post-hockey career has included becoming a motivational speaker, best-selling author, and country music superstar. (laughs) <laughs> everyone please welcome on to the mad specialist podcast theo flurry theo how's it going today
2: good how are you guys doing not uh, too bad
0: my uh my mom actually she mentioned today go look up uh, his country music and that was the first thing i did and i didn't realize uh that you had that country music career whatever how'd that get started and um it's obviously been pretty successful
2: <laughs> well i grew up around country music so my family is uh incredibly musical so uh Well, we're Métis people, right? So if you know anything about Métis people, you know, music is part of our DNA. And So, you know, my grandpa was a fiddle player. Uh, My dad was a guitar player, entertainer. Uncle was an entertainer. I actually had a first cousin finish uh, in the top 10 of Canadian Idol one year. And so, you know, music has always been... What was interesting was after I finished writing Playing With Fire, uh, you know, I was like, geez, maybe I, if I can write a book, maybe I can write music. And so I had a buddy in uh, Winnipeg who works for uh, Sony Music and, uh, you know, I called him up and said, you know, I want to stroke something off my bucket list. And I said, would you uh, would you like to collaborate on, on a, you know, writing a song? And so... I went to Winnipeg and, uh, we wrote this song, st- this song as the story goes and, uh, you know, and then I just kept going back to Winnipeg and writing more and more stuff. And, and then we got a, an album together of 10 of 10 of the best songs and, uh, you know, put it out there and, you know, I have a band and, uh, you know, we play, you know, gigs every once in a while, but, uh, it's more, you know, for fun that we do it, but, uh, you know the stuff that we put out we're really proud of it's a great album and uh you know it's very well produced and uh, a lot of great musicians played on it and so you know i just finished uh last weekend gord bamford uh was doing some driving stuff uh here i think he was in grand prairie on uh, saturday yeah. and so he, the the show he did in calgary i got up and uh, and sang a song so it was fun <clears throat>
0: Awesome. Um, and so, as well as a uh, country, country music star, I kind of wanted to get this in while I could. How did you come into uh, getting to do the dancing with the stars? And <laughs> did, did and, and, and from every time I've ever heard a hockey player talk about it, they all said how much they loved it and how much it was a great experience. And is that, is that the same for you?
2: Yeah, I was at, a, I think it was the Easter Seals event in Toronto. And, uh, Jamie Soleil was at the, uh, um, at the same event. And, uh, she had just won the year before, I think with Craig Simpson and said to me, you know, you should do battle of the blades. And I was like, uh, I'll only do battle of the blades if you're my partner. And so she called, you know, the battle of the blades people and said that I was interested only if Jamie was my partner. And so we hooked it up and, uh. You know, I, uh, yeah, it was probably top five experiences that I've ever had in my life. You know, um, it was, uh, it was so challenging, you know, those skates are like, fucked, right. (laughs) You know, and, uh, you know, because we're, you know, hockey skates are built like this, right. So that we're forward and on our sort of on front of our knees whereas figure skates are flat and so if you get into hockey mode right guess what's on the end of those or on the front of those those toe picks and so but you actually need the toe picks for lifts and you know spinning and jumping and all that stuff and so you know it was it was hard but it was it was so much fun it was so much uh, it was a challenge and uh you know i i uh, i definitely uh became a more efficient skater after that show because yeah. you know what what they teach you is to use all the edges on the skates right and uh you know they're a little bit longer the blades are a little bit longer too and so you uh, like skating backwards is hilarious because it, you just fly because you have so much blade on the ice. And so, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, uh, it was fun, uh, uh, you know, with all the different guys that, that, uh, agreed to do the show. And, uh, but I tell you, I have a, a newfound respect for the girls in that sport because they are fearless and they are tough. And, uh, yeah, I remember like the second, I think it was the second day I skated with Jamie. She wanted me to grab her by the foot and start, you know, what? was like, you're out of your mind. And I said, like, what if it's I crazy. drop I go, what if I drop you? And she's like, well, I know how to fall, she said. I was like, okay. So, the we went.
1: Yeah, every time I watch them at the Olympics and whatnot, every time they make those jumps, I'm just like, I, I don't understand how they're doing that.
2: But Yeah. It's it's amazing. Amazing. They're amazing athletes, incredible athletes.
1: So, uh you're talking about music being in your DNA. Uh let's go back to your DNA a little bit. You're from Oxbow, Saskatchewan. Uh can you detail what it was like growing up playing hockey in Oxbow and and what 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 that was well, like? Well, I crazy. was born in
2: Oxbow but raised in Russell, Manitoba. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that close? So, yeah, it's about 3 hours. Okay. Uh from there. But You know, my dad was a, my dad was a really great hockey player. And, uh, you know, back in the 60s, there was only six teams in the NHL, right? So there was lots of, uh, you know, great hockey players that probably could have played in the NHL, but just decided to stay home and work on the farm or whatever. And so, you know, I often say that there was, the senior hockey in Canada was so good that You know, there there were probably numerous senior hockey teams that could have went to the Montreal Forum and kicked the shit out of the Montreal Canadiens, you know, when they were winning all those Stanley Cups. And so, you know, we moved around a lot uh, because my dad was sort of a hired gun, you know, Mm -hmm. and they would would pay him to play senior hockey. And so uh, shortly after I was born, we moved to Williams Lake, B.C., and my dad played for the Williams Lake Peters for a couple of years. And then, uh, and then after that we moved back to the prairies and uh, I started playing hockey in a little town called Binscarth, Manitoba, which population's like 300 people. And the, the arena there was an old barn that they converted into a rink. And so, you know, that's where I started playing hockey. And then, and then, towards the end of that year uh there's there's a town 10 miles north of Binscarth called Russell Manitoba and uh they called my dad because they had a a really good senior team in in Russell and they said you know why don't you come come to Russell and uh we'll give you a job and you can play for the team and so I you know I show up in Russell uh, uh when I was six years old and uh one of the most amazing things happened was when I got there, it just so happened that the 13 best athletes in town were all six years old. We're all my age. And not only that, we had three incredible amazing fathers who became our coaches and our mentors. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, not only did they teach us hockey, but they taught us about, you know, life and life skills and, you know, the importance of respect, the importance of loving and caring for your teammates, you know, and, uh, you know, if we stepped out of line, there was consequences for our actions and, you know, whatnot, and so we became this incredible, you know, hockey team. And, uh, you know, we won three provincial championships in hockey, uh, three provincial championships in baseball, and uh you know with the same 13 kids same three coaches and uh you know it was an amazing experience to you know to go to this little town and uh you know we always we always played up in competition right we'd go you know we'd go to all the big tournaments in regina saskatoon you name it and you know kick the shit out of the city teams and uh you know it was it was a lot of fun and and uh you know our, our practices were well planned out, you know, lots of skills, lots of power skating, lots of really, you know, great drills. And so, you know, I think I think all of us on that team ended up either playing tier tier two junior hockey or, or major junior hockey. And so, you know, it was just a really you know great experience. Uh you know, my minor hockey was was awesome. You mentioned uh
0: you know everyone got to play tier two junior made a junior, and then so you found yourself going to play with the mostral warriors um how did how did that opportunity um present itself to you and then I noticed that you got you you ended up playing it was four four seasons there before you ended up getting your shot with calgary. so how come you ended up spending four years there considering you know the good numbers that you had and then that first year <laughs> you had with considering that first year that you had with um i guess that was split between. Salt Lake and Calgary. I mean, you put up yeah. good numbers on in, in both leagues. So mm-hmm. how'd you get to Jaw, M- and then how come it took four years?
2: So I was part of the very first Bantam draft that was held in the Western Hockey League. So um, I got picked uh, in the second round by the Winnipeg Warriors. And uh, so the year I turned 15, I moved to Winnipeg. Uh, I played with the St. James Canadiens. Uh, which is the Manitoba Junior League, and uh, I practiced every day with the with the Warriors after school. And then uh, the year I was in Winnipeg, the team got sold to Moose Jaw, and so the year I turned sixteen, I moved to Moose Jaw, and then obviously played played four years in in Moose Jaw, and uh, you know put up. 472 points in you know four years and uh, the year that I was eligible to be drafted I wasn't drafted Uh and then the following year I got picked in the eighth round by the Calgary Flames and uh you know I think that you know there, I, I was told this, anyways, that the reason why they drafted me, Calgary drafted me, because they thought that I would put butts in the seats in Salt Lake, you know. And there was never really any, you know, belief that I would, you know, become an NHL player. But uh, you know, I went to my first training camp, and I absolutely lit it up, and I got into three exhibition games uh, that year, and then, um, and then went back to junior. Uh, was captain of Canada's national junior team. We won the gold medal in Russia, um, and then after that season was over, I went to Salt Lake and we won the we won the Turner Cup that spring. And I went <clears throat> and then I went to training camp the following year. Uh, Calgary was a pretty veteran laden team, and they they had a lot of guys that were established, and so I got sent to Salt Lake. Uh, I played 40 games there, had 74 points in 40 games in the minors, and then got called up on uh, New Year's Eve 1988, uh, January 1st, I showed up in Calgary, and uh, six months later I was carrying the Stanley Cup around the Montreal Forum, so.
0: Yeah,
2: unreal. You mentioned,
0: uh, uh, like, uh, so you're, so, I just want to back, but but for you you play junior, and so you have all these numbers of just completely lighting it up, and so... The game obviously is coming to you pretty easy at that point. Um, so then you, you transition to playing pro hockey, and you I mean you're not putting up 100 points in your first season or whatever, but you're still, you know, you're fitting in just fine. What is, obviously, there's a major transition from playing junior hockey to playing pro hockey, and especially for someone um, like your size, where it's not, it's not very common yeah. for someone your size to not only come in but put in numbers. So, what was that transition like? And was playing junior hockey, did it, did it just feel easy? <laughs>
2: Well, I I think, you know, obviously, the more experience you have playing in the league, you know, the the easier it gets, obviously. But, uh, you know, I played with some great players in Moose Jaw, you know, Mike Keane, Kelly Barker, Lyle Woodleine, Jim McKenzie, so Blair Achenham, you know, I played with lots of good guys there, and uh, which allowed me to, you know, develop this talent and this skill. But, um you know, and, and when I went to Salt Lake too, I had great line mates, great teammates. Uh We had a super like scary tough team down there too, and so you know, always had people around me that you know sort of protected me and allowed me to do what I do best, which is, you know, like you said, light it up. And <laughs> uh, but you know, I I developed a certain style of play as well, you know. Um, because there wasn't a whole lot of small guys in the NHL at that time who were having success. And so I knew that I had to, you know, uh, develop a certain style, a certain aggressiveness. And, uh, you know, the, the, the hockey stick became the great equalizer for me because I became really good with my, stick and you know I was I was able to avoid a lot of the big collisions that were on the ice as well too and so you know and uh and so yeah all that sort of combined together you know you get Theo Flurry and uh and uh yeah and, and so everywhere I went uh you know I always had a coach that you know allowed me to excel allowed me to develop you know these kind of things and so You know, I had Paul Baxter in uh, Salt Lake City, which he was a former NHL guy and a tough guy. And so, you know, he he was hard on me at the beginning uh, when I got to Salt Lake. And then once we came to, you know, a certain understanding, you know, I just, you know, I lit it up after that. So, you know, for example, like we would have a, a power play and he would say, you know, don't come off the ice. Just stay out there the whole two minutes, you know which for me was, you love. I loved it. Yeah. So, and then, you know, when I got to Calgary, you know, I was, I got there sort of as a role player, you know, I played on the fourth line and, you know, I wasn't expected to really score. I was there to provide energy and change the momentum in games and whatever. And then, you know, as I, as the years went by, I just, you know, sort of, um, Developed into you know the player that uh, that I became, and uh, you know like I said, had lots of great coaching, lots of coaches that believed in me and stuff, and uh, and you know like I said, I, I couldn't I couldn't have been drafted by a better organization. You know, the Flames were big, tough, mean. You know, we could play any style of game that you wanted to play, and and uh, you know I fit I fit the role that they were looking for, and then. You know, after we won the cup, I just started, you know, developing more and more and more, and became, you know, the the player that I became.
1: Uh, before I, w- I want to get into Calgary, but I have to backtrack because uh, this was a, this was a huge thing that happened at the World Juniors in '87. The inf- <laughs> infamous punch up in Piestani, Uh You were on the ice for that when it started. Mm-hmm. And how how did that start, and, and what were your thoughts when they shut the lights off?
2: Well, back back then, um, the the World Junior Tournament was just a round-robin tournament. So uh, you played every team once, the best record won the tournament, right? So there was no quarterfinal, semifinal, final like they have now. And so the last game... uh, of the tournament, we played the Russians and the Russians could finish. They had a like an awful tournament. They were awful. And so even if they beat this beat us, they could finish no higher than sixth. And we had to win by four goals in order to win the gold medal. And so we were well on our way, you know, to accomplishing that goal. And, you know, the game was just awful. It was chippy and dirty and, you know, And then, uh, and then Everett Santa Pass and this, uh, can't remember the guy's name, but, you know, they just started throwing punches at each other with their masks on and helmets on. And then, you know, we kind of went over there to see what was going on. I got cross-checked from behind and then Steve Chase on, uh, you know, started beating the shit out of the guy that cross-checked me. And then all of a sudden we got a five on five on the ice and then, Next thing you know, both benches are clearing and, you know, the rest is, you know, sort of history. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- I think the Russians' intention, you know, was for that to happen because they had no, you know, uh-huh. no chance. Yeah. You know, there's a story that um, Canada had a chance to win the gold medal uh, or no, the, uh, a medal at one of the world championships. And the and the Russians and the Czechs played to a zero zero tie so that Canada <laughs> couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get in. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't win. Couldn't win it get in. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's there's a lot of politics involved, and yeah, uh, but uh, you know, um, and you know what I find interesting is that <clears throat> you know nobody talks about the 1988 team that won the gold medal yeah. in, in, in Moscow. In Russia. Right in Russia. Because, um, you know, we had 12 first-round picks on that team. Joe Sakik was our fourth-line centerman on that team. Jeez. Not and, bad, eh? And the Russians had a line of Fedorov, McGilney, and Bure was their number one line. And, uh, you know, we went right into Russia and, you know, beat them for the gold medal. And, uh, you know, and, it was, and it, you know, it was in the same rank that Paul Henderson scored the goal in 1972. Ooh. We played in the same rank. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and at that time, it was, Canada, it was Canada's only, it was their third gold medal. At the World Junior at that time. Now they're at like 15, I think. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, to go into a communist country such as Russia and face, you know, a pretty formidable opponent the Russians and then beat them in their own building was, you know, pretty awesome.
0: So that uh, that year you had with Calgary, then you obviously go on, you win a Stanley Cup. Uh, going into that dressing room, who were some of the veterans that you, that, you know kind of helped you fit in and helped made you feel a little bit welcome um, within the organization? Um, and going from riding the buses in junior to lifting the cup over your head in such a short period of time, yeah. um, you know, obviously it felt great, but just kind of maybe go through just a little bit of that playoff run and some of the veterans that, that helped you out.
2: Well, that whole team was, you know, just solid, you know. Um, I think when it's all said and done, I think it could be six or seven of us in the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously the leadership came right from Lanny and then it trickled down to everybody else, you know, guys like. Poplinski and Otto and Hunter and Colin Patterson, Rick Walmsley, you know, we had Dougie Gilmore, Joe Nudeik on that team, you know, so stacked. You know, it was, uh, it was a great team, you know, and, uh, um, lots of quality people. Like, you know, I think that teams that win, you know, have from top to bottom, a certain quality of people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that team had, you know, uh, a better quality of people than, than actually, you know, players, you know? And, uh, you know, I think we, we gelled together, you know, you know, the mission, I think from the time I got there was to win the Stanley cup. And, you know, they had built, you know, they had built this team to, you know, to, to get to the highest level. And, uh, You know, we were able to accomplish that. You know, the sad part about it is that, you know, um, you know, we probably should have won one more, maybe two Mm -hmm. with that group of people. But we just, we couldn't get out of the first round of the playoffs for some reason. Every year, you know, after that, you know, we had lots of uh, heartbreak, you know. I think I played in four game sevens uh, in Calgary and lost everyone in overtime. Oh, my gosh. So... You know. no.
0: That shouldn't ha- that shouldn't happen to any man to be honest <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, so yeah so it just goes to show you how far how hard the first round is to win you know yeah did, did, when you got when Calgary
0: builds that team you guys have so many competitions against the or- Edmonton and the rivalry is so fierce what are those games like and then does Calgary when they're building a team at that point in time is to get over beating the Oilers and then we'll worry about the rest later
2: yeah, well, in the '80s, the Stanley Cup went through either Calgary or Edmonton, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the Flames. <clears throat> you know, it started with Badger Bob Johnson. You know, where they, you know, where they built a team basically to beat the Oilers. And uh, and so, um, what was interesting was um, the year I got to Calgary, Gretzky got traded to LA. And, uh, Perfect time and LA actually beat Edmonton that year. They upset <laughs> they upset the Oilers and so we ended up playing Los Angeles in the second round and we swept them. <laughs> we, beat them we beat them four straight. So, you know, um but yeah, the the Edmonton Calgary rivalry uh, at that time, you know, when you were getting dressed to to play those games, uh, you know, you weren't putting your equipment on, you're putting on a suit of armor because you're going to war, you know. And uh like we were, like we were trying to hurt each other. Oh yeah. Like hurt each other, and when you slash somebody, you were trying to hit bone, right? Yeah. You know, that's that's the kind of games they were, and uh, you know it was barbaric, it was violent, it was you know it was insane, and uh, but you know as a as an NHL player, and you want to play at the highest level, you know. You wanted to play in those games. So, you know, those were, those were the games where, you know, you found out what you're really made of, right? You mm-hmm. know, and and if you can excel in those situations, you know, like my first game against the, the Oilers was a Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, I scored my first two NHL goals against, against Grant Fear and was first star in the game. And so, you know, right from day one, I knew the importance of, you know, playing in that rivalry and uh you know how much it how much it meant to both you know to both cities, right? That it actually... it, 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 like it infiltrates all the way down to youth sports, whether it's soccer, hockey, baseball, whatever it is, Calgary Edmonton is you know, we just don't like each other.
1: Yeah, and you can see the passion come out when you got a guy sliding on his knees across the logo in center ice. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that was one of those times where, um, you know.
1: Adrenaline took over almost, yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. You don't even think. It was
1: legendary. People still watch it to this day. Like,
2: yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, you know, the object of the game is to score more goals than the other team. And, uh, you know, that hasn't changed. And you know, I was a guy that loved to score goals, and uh, you know, obviously that was probably one of the biggest goals I've ever scored. Maybe exception of scoring in triple overtime against Sweden in the World Cup to get to the the finals, but other than that, you know, it was it was definitely the biggest goal I ever scored, and uh, you know. So you've had uh,
0: you've had the opportunity to, like you said there, you played against Wayne Gretzky in your first round of playoffs. You actually got to team up with him at the Olympics. Um, what was your thoughts on Wayne Gretzky when you go into um, a playoff series after watching him you know, on TV growing up and just seeing the amazingness? And then what was it like also having him as a teammate for a little bit there, even if it was just a short period of time?
2: Oh I think any time we played Gretz in the playoffs, you know the the game plan was designed around him, you know um and uh you know by by the time the series started, we were sick of watching video of Wayne Gretzky, that's for sure you know um but uh you know they. You know what's interesting? I find is when you know an Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid shows up on the scene, it's like this big production of you know all the stuff. Well, when I was playing, every team had a Connor McDavid. Every team had an Austin Matthews. You know, and uh, you know guys like Sackick and Iserman and Lemieux and Gretzky and Messier and you know you name it. Every every team had you know, really, really great players. And I think the era that I played in was probably the greatest amount of superstars that ever played. And, uh, you know, that's why the game was so offensive and so creative was, you know, because of all those guys that, you know, changed the game, right? And then, you know, you had guys like Paul Coffey and Brian Leach and, you know, Scotty Niedemeyer that, you know, really changed how, you know, uh, the defensive uh, position changed where they all became, you know, offensive part of the game because they were great skaters. They could move the puck and, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I played with Phil Housley and Al McKinnis. you know, two amazing, you know, offensive guys. So, you know, um, you don't see that a whole lot anymore, you know, where you have those, you know, those guys that can really get involved in, in the offense and, you know, but I think Bobby Orr was the guy that probably changed the game the most, you know, when, when you're uh defenseman, you're leading the NHL in scoring, what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Obviously, uh, <clears throat> obviously there's so much of your uh, NHL career we can go over. I'm sure we could do this all day um there's only one thing i want to talk about actually i guess um in terms of post hockey or sorry post nhl career in terms of hockey um you actually played a little bit of senior hockey just north of grand prairie in horse lake um Mm -hmm. for for, um, an allen cup run there um i want to ask you uh, how was that experience um playing up in horse lake um and what you kind of took away from that
2: well it was it was a lot of fun you know i was uh i was very surprised that the uh quality of hockey um you know there was some there was still some great players around you know uh but you know i thought the the alberta playdowns was way harder than actually going to the allen cup because there's so many great teams in alberta you know uh we had a great series with bentley you know mm. uh and uh um but yeah you know and i, I I love that we had so many Aboriginal kids on the team that were really great players, like the Cunningham brothers, and uh, you know there was a bunch of guys that that uh, you know were really great players. So it was fun to you know to play with them, and uh, you know got to play with Gino and you know the Lakovic brothers and Brett Dodging Horse, and you know it was a fun experience. Got to play with my cousin, you know Todd Holt. We, and uh, Steve Parsons was on that team and so you know it was was a fun experience unfortunately you know it didn't turn out the way that uh, you know we thought it would but uh, you know that's hockey and you know that's anything can happen in a one game showdown and uh, you know but uh, yeah it was fun to be in the dressing room again you know I'd I'd sort of been out of the game for a bit and uh, um, you know the The chief up there, Dion, called me and said, you know, do you want to, would you come play senior hockey with us? And, you know, I think I said no 50 times before he finally convinced me that, uh, you know, that would be a good experience. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to, you know, playing all those little rinks up north, you know, Spirit River and, uh, you know all those places Lakeland, and you know you name it it was uh it was a really fun experience and uh you know we had a good time
0: that horse lake rink was actually quite nice i mean they, Beautiful. Did they, is that the one they
1: just brand new built
2: yeah 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 it's gorgeous yeah it was really good
1: so before we get into your motivational speaking i have to ask because i'm from spear river do you remember any of those games because i remember going to watch them and they were so entertaining <laughs> Better
2: than going to an NHL game at that time. Right. Uh geez, I'm trying to think if I remember. I remember the rink. I don't remember the games at all, but uh I definitely remember the rink. So um my first game was against Spirit River in in uh, Horse Lake. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> awesome. <clears throat>
0: okay well so then after that um after your post hockey career you you've obviously found some some success in in other areas of your life um you know you've you've had your best-selling autobiography um and then like like landon was mentioning earlier there um what was what was that uh process and i know you've mentioned how when you wrote that book it wasn't it wasn't meant for you to actually publish this book you weren't necessarily expecting it to be a bestseller it was to, more to get your thoughts and your, and your feelings on um, from pen to paper. Um, why do you think that, you know, just beginning that process of putting your thoughts from pen to paper actually is, is so beneficial in that, in that healing process, uh, that you had to end up going through.
2: Right. Well, there's a saying, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously for many years I was carrying a secret around and, uh, you know, hadn't really told. whole lot of people about you know what what sort of happened and uh you know the book was uh, an opportunity to do that and uh sort of explain uh why at the end of my hockey career why things sort of went the way that they went and uh and when you know when the book came out um i had no idea the enormity of, you know, the subject of sexual abuse and how many people, uh, have this experience. And, you know, I got completely run over on the book tour, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming up at every book signing and saying, Hey, you know, like you told my story, me too. And, and so, um, and what was interesting was, you know, at the time, you know, I had no idea what the rest of my life was going to look like, you know? All I had was a grade 12 diploma from Vanier Collegiate in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and I had no idea what the rest of my life was going to look like, because I didn't have a plan B, right? And uh, and so, <clears throat> you know, the universe sort of put me in this place, and uh wow you know, the biggest epidemic on the planet is trauma, mental health, and addiction. And uh, and so for the last 11 years, I've been in this space, you know, trying to help people come to grips with whatever it is, you know, their trauma, their mental health, their addiction issues, you know, all that stuff. And so, you know, it's been uh, truly amazing. And, you know, I really believe it's the real reason you know, why I was put on this earth was not the hockey stuff, but, you know, the stuff that I do uh, every day trying to help people come to grips with, you know, what's happened to them.
1: So, uh, like you said, there's many people that go through this that, that are, don't tell their stories. What's one thing that you would say to someone who has, is currently going through maybe something like you did then?
2: Well, I think it's important to find a safe space, a safe person or a safe group of people where you can talk openly about what happened, uh, you know, where people understand where, you know, there's no judgment, there's no shame, uh, you know, attached to it. And, uh, um, but, um, you know, that, that safe space has not been created, you know, Uh Unfortunately, um, you know, we've we've come a, a bit of the ways, but, you know, we still have a long ways to go. You know, I think we have the highest awareness around the subject of mental health and addiction. But then on the other side of the coin, we have this we have the highest suicide rates in the history of our planet. So, you know, all this awareness, how come it's not being turned into action and saving people's lives? Right. Well, you know, we haven't created the safe space. And so every day, you know, we're out there fighting stigma, right? Fighting the stigma that's attached to mental illness, fighting the stigma that's attached to addictions and, you know, all that stuff. And so, you know, we, we've got a long ways to go and, and uh, um, but, you know, like I said, the uh, There's a lot of talk, but, you know, the talk is, you know, kind of surface stuff. And, you know, there's not enough talk about what to do to manage, you know, you know, the symptoms of mental illness, the symptoms of, you know, addiction. And what I believe is it's because we don't talk about trauma, right? We don't talk about trauma. And let's face it, we're all gonna experience trauma in our lifetime. Nobody's immune from, you know, experiencing trauma. And, you know, and trauma doesn't have to be as extreme as as my trauma, you know? For example, if your parents get divorced while you're very young, that's trauma. If you're bullied in school, that's trauma, you know? And these things affect you for the rest of your life if you don't get the help that you need to, you know, make sense of it or overcome it or whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, we don't talk about the trauma and that's the biggest reason why, you know, we have this, you know, massive epidemic, right? Like if you look at what's happening in the United States, in Portland and in Seattle, that's, that's just a bunch of people who have suppressed anger. And now they have a place where they can release all the, it's not about the cause black life matter or you know whatever you want to call it whatever cause it is it is suppressed anger. That's exactly what it, and they're acting out, you know, the anger from their childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Has absolutely nothing to do with the what the cause.
1: So Then with with all this stuff sweeping the nation, I I do want to ask and get your opinion on this because so far, like, we've only really heard of of what Jordan Tutu said uh, about the name changes and stuff. I want to get your opinion on what the, like, whether the name changes are correct, whether they're not, because I, I, look, there's a few opinions. I know Jordan said, uh, well, that is the name that my ancestors went by. So I don't see, you know, the issue, but if there is, then let's change it. But then yeah. there's also a lot of people who are, you know, not actually Aboriginal that are giving their opinions. And I just want to know what your opinion is.
2: Well, I think it's a tool that divides us, right? So uh, I think it's, A cognitive decision by our leaders that they want us divided. They want us angry at each other. They want us to, um, you know, whatever whatever you want to call it. And so um, it's I don't know. It we we're we're in a crazy time. Yeah, you know, crazy crazy place. You know, and uh, it seems like one side. Wants to have complete and total control of everything that we do, what we see, what we hear, what we speak. You know, that's that's what's all behind this, right? And that, uh, you know, it's a socialist, communist attitude that we know doesn't work. It's been tried 25 times in the history of our planet and has failed every single time. And so I don't understand why, you know, this certain group of leaders think that, you know, it's going to work this time. You know, I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy, um, being a critical thinker. I enjoy, you know, having an opinion, and you know that's the world that i grew up in and i have absolutely zero interest in uh a socialist or communist uh you know ideal i i don't want any part of it Mm -hmm. um just kind of just
0: rewinding again back to horse lake it was something i want to mention i know that you, you found you found your wife um while playing with horse lake and you know you You've mentioned, um, you know, she's, she saved your, she saved your life type of deal. I've, heard, I've read in uh, different articles, uh, online here. I want to um, just ask you kind of what, what having that person or having that family member there is why that's so important is to have somebody to lean on and to not go through everything by yourself. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I, I, I think when you sort of get into a space of, you know, I want to, i want to get well that you know you that you you know you start to attract you start to attract you know those people uh in your life that can help you get through whatever it needs to to get through and so you know um when i you know when i wrote the book i started to run into you know all of these healers in the space And, uh, you know, my second book I wrote with a a lady called Kim Barthel, who's probably been the most important person in helping me sort of unpack, you know, all of my trauma, uh, that I've had, but I've also had the opportunity to, you know, to be at conferences and speaking, uh, in the same space as, you know, the so-called experts. And, uh, you know, I've been able to to pick their brains and and learn and have them teach me uh you know what I need to do so that I become a better um facilitator and uh you know healer in the space. And so, you know, um I I think once you make the decision and the choice and and you know I found a lot of healing in the, you know, in the Aboriginal community, right? I've been to 420 First Nations communities all over Canada and, uh, you know, uh, hanging out with medicine men and spiritual leaders and teachers, you know, um, I probably found that piece, probably the most important piece in all of my healing journey was that, you know, that spirituality part, you know, is, is, you know, participating in ceremony and, and, uh, you know, going to sweat lodges and going to powwows and sun dances and, you know, all this stuff was, you know, has been incredibly beneficial uh, in helping me find peace and serenity in my life.
0: I've actually, this is, you brought the sweat lodge up, but I'm curious, what, what exactly is the process of a sweat lodge? To me, it just, I, I hear, you know, a big, it's just a sauna, you sweat it out, but obviously it's more to, more to it than that. What is yeah. a, a sweat lodge?
2: Well, I think it's probably one of the most spiritual experiences you can have. You know, is your, you know, uh, the sweat lodge emulates emulates uh, Mother Earth's womb, right? And the sweat lodge has been around for you know centuries because it's it's a place to heal, right? And uh, you know, everybody does them differently. But I think the ultimate goal is always, you know, healing and, and, you know, that's physical, emotional and spiritual healing happen in the sweat lodge, you know, and, uh, you know, the medicines that are put on the rocks and, you know, you're breathing in this stuff and you're cleansing your body and getting rid of toxins and all kinds of you know, emotional baggage, spiritual baggage, you know, physical stuff, you know, I've seen some amazing things that have happened, you know, where people are, you know, sick and dying and have used the sweat lodge to, you know, overcome things like cancer and, you know, all kinds of really cool stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience and it's hard to explain, uh, and I always suggest that if you get the opportunity to do that, to take full advantage of it and and experience it, uh, you know, for what it is, because it's, you know, like I'm going next Sunday to down to Cardston because uh, I hang out with this really cool medicine man. His name's Arnold Mountain Horse, and uh, he's one of the most powerful medicine men in the world. And people from all over the world come to his sweat lodge for healing and. Uh, you know it's really amazing to, to hang out with this guy. He's he's a wealth of knowledge and and uh, and he's a funny guy too. So it's, <laughs> it's good. Awesome. Well,
1: we don't want to take up too much of your time, Theo. Uh, but it was awesome to have you on. We really appreciate it. Um, the listeners are going to love this. So thanks so much for doing this for
2: us. Yeah. No can, problem.
0: I, can
1: I ask you one last question? Just
0: yeah. as a, as as a as a small hockey player growing up myself, I, I always, it was every year, it was, you know, you heard from coaches, you're too small to do this. You know, you're too small to do that. Um, now the NHL has transitioned into a new game where each, each team has one or two guys that are small, but you got yeah. to kind of grind in a league where you were a bit of an anomaly. Um, how hard was it to, 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 to show people that you just being a smaller guy that it didn't, it didn't make a difference. <laughs> and 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 nowadays, how much would you have just absolutely loved to have played in the league now? where you probably were you know you're a consistent probably a hundred point getter every single year
2: right well you know i I love the era that I played in, you know um like I said, I think top to bottom had the most superstars of all time uh you know. It would have been interesting, you know, to play with no red line because you know my forte was breakaways. You know, I didn't miss. <laughs> yeah. I didn't miss very many of them. But uh, you know, like I said, I I I knew that there was a lot of guys that had tried before me, and you know, the one thing they lacked was, um, you know. Like, for example, I'm five foot six, 150 pounds. The average height and weight in the NHL when I played was six feet, 200 pounds. Right. So how am I going to get the room that I need to do what I do best? Right. And that's my offensive talents and my skating ability and passing ability and whatever. So you know, I had to create room on the ice for myself. And how did I do that? Well, I told you, my stick, you know, became the great equalizer, right? If guys were going to hit me, they had to come through my stick, right? And they knew that I just might turn the blade over and knock their eye out, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I had to make them think, that was a possibility every time they came near me on the ice always a price to pay. And so, you know, uh, making people think that I was crazy, you know, allowed me to have the space and the room that I needed on the ice to do, you know, to do what I do best. But also what I tell kids all the time is that, you know, Don't ever complain about ice time. Get good at all the skills. Right? So learn how to take face-offs. Learn how to kill penalties. Learn how to play in the last minute of the period. Because if you do that, you know, when you need a big, big penalty kill, the coach is looking at you. If you need to win a big face-off, the coach is looking at you. And so what happens is he's going to put you on the ice. Mm -hmm. And the more situations, because the game is not just all about offense, Mm -hmm. it's more about, especially now, you know, the game is, you know, broken down into small segments. And if you're not good at all the skills, you're going to sit on the end of the bench.
1: Mm -hmm. That was me, you
2: know, and, (laughs) and so I always tell kids all the time is don't ever complain about ice time. Just get good at all, you know, play every position. I played every position, but goal in the NHL, you know, I played defense on the power play. You know, if we were down a goal, the coach would put me on defense. You know, I, I killed penalties. I played the power play. I, I, you know, I I had a, you know, 55% face-off percentage, you know, because I knew that if I wanted to have more ice time, I needed to get better at, you know, the the overall, uh, you know, how the game is actually played. And, and at the NHL level, you know, especially now, you know, it's very technical, right? You know, they have iPads on the bench. Yeah. You know, so you know, not to say that that's a good thing. I I don't think I think the game is way too overcoached. You know, Uh basically they're just playing Xbox with these guys. You know, (laughs) that's basically what it's come down to. And, you know, you you don't get a whole lot of one-on-one play anymore. You know, Uh you know, the Connor McDavid's the Sidney Crosby's, those guys, they're allowed to do that, but the majority of teams, you know, your, your bottom nine guys are basically all the same players. You know, I call them speed Robots. skaters with hockey sticks. <laughs>
1: parents, you know? so. They're fast and they swing it around.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Awesome, Theo. Well, yeah, again, we want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, It definitely means a lot to Landon and I, and it's going to mean a lot to just the people uh, in Grand Prairie listening. So uh, we we appreciate you coming on, and we wish you nothing but the best in your future uh, with whatever you end up doing.
2: I appreciate it. And I I enjoyed my time up in Grand Prairie when I was up in Horse Lake. We
0: had had a lot of fun up up there. If you ever want to come back up to GP, we can go to the crown and anchor, you know, we can do something and we'll have a, have a good night. Perfect.
2: Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. Theo. Have a good one. Uh, cheers guys. Thanks. Thanks. Hey guys. We want to
0: thank you once again for listening to this episode and all the other ones. If you want to hear more of our episodes, go listen on Apple, Spotify, Google play, or wherever find podcasts are downloaded these days. Um, if you want to see more of what we're doing on social media, You can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. It is The Mad Specialist for all three of those. Um, Again, we appreciate your support. We got big things coming up in the future. Um, And have yourselves a lovely weekend. Oh, my God. Who the hell cares?